I was able to start Choms literally from idea to having product in hand and ads out, you know, taking orders just a few months. And That's incredible. For very little money too, you know. So at my initial investment in Choms was three thousand two hundred and fifty bucks. Welcome to the Irresistible Factor, the podcast for brands in the health and wellness space who want to be irresistible, not only to consumers, but to investors and retailers. Here we talk to successful entrepreneurs about the inspiring stories that help them start and grow their awesome brands. And we also talk to investors, leaders in private equity, and retail buyers about what makes brands irresistible to them. So welcome to the latest episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today, I'm super excited to be talking with Pete Maldonado, who is the CEO and co-founder of Chomps, which is one of the fastest growing snack brands in the country. And I can't wait to have him share all the things he's doing that are making them be one of the fastest growing companies. So welcome, Pete. It's so nice to be talking to you today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so tell us first about Chomps. Tell us what it is and tell us how you started. Yeah. So Chomps is a, is a better for you meat stack and we only do sticks. So we don't do jerky. We don't do bars. We're focused on just being the best meat stick that you can find. And so we launched this company in 2012. The key attributes that we really wanted to focus on were grass-fed, grass-finished. From a sourcing perspective, we want to make sure that any kind of protein that we're using is actually having a positive impact on the environment and animal welfare. So those things have been important to us from you know way back when, when we first started. Really love the idea that people are starting to catch on to it and it's starting to, to be a, a trending thing. So those things are really, uh, really exciting for us. And the other thing was no sugar added to any of our products. And so we were doing this back for the paleo community, but it was also for the keto community. Keto really took off. Uh, so we, we um, you know, we were kind of early movers on that. So um, you were a keto or paleo person before you started the company? I was, yeah. So I started, um, I was a personal trainer in college. And so I, I had experimented with most diets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did a lot of carb cycling and keto type diets or keto based diets. Um, and then I started doing paleo. So I was doing more of a combination of paleo, but very low carbohydrates. And, um, and then I got introduced to Whole30. And that was another whole, um, uh, you know, realm and, and different, different uh, diets to start, to start thinking about. So I really loved, I, just like, I like experimenting with diets. And I've always liked to see how it affects me and my body. So yeah, I found the things that work and the products that I wanted for myself just didn't exist. So I wanted to create them. So that was the end. That was that was going to be my next question. So, what made you create this particular brand at that moment in time? So it was that. It was it was really. I, I was doing paleo. I was uh, crossfitting. I was still actually working with some clients at the time. And one of the big things I found. So, by the way, I was doing this in the Hamptons, where I grew up. I, I grew up right outside of the Hamptons, up in Long Island. Okay. So we, yeah, so I'm up there and I would be up there. I was in college down here in Florida, but then I was going back and forth. And in the summertime, I would train my clients up in, uh, up there. And a lot of them were based in Manhattan. They had their Hampton houses that they would come out to on the weekend and they would come see me, you know, whatever on the weekends and, and work out. But they were busy, professional people, Mm -hmm. always on the go. And they did such a horrible job of sticking to my diet plans that I would spend so much time trying to sign up for them. And the excuses were always, you know, there's really just no options. When I'm on the run, I have to eat quickly. I need, you know, it's fast food or whatever. And so I was like, okay, it's just got the wheels turning. And I'm like, I, I can create something that can help solve that problem. So. Had you ever been in any kind of food business or anything before? 
Not before that. So my first business I ever started after my personal training business was, uh, it was called frozen fitness. And so that was, these were actually frozen meals. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had a one line that was for people that wanted to lose weight. And then another line forgot, you know, people that wanted to bulk up. And, um, and so it was the same exact meal, just a different portion size. And, uh, yeah, so first business I, I, and I actually set them up, um, in these glass top ice cream freezers that we wrapped with our logo and I put them in gyms. So I started that actually in Naples, Florida. And, um, by the, you know, we ended up getting about 72 different gyms that had us from South Florida up to around Atlanta. And then I had the big oh. idea where I, where I wanted to go and, and start selling online. And this was before all of the, all of these meal plan options are out there. I mean, they're, they're a dime a dozen now and they're everywhere, but yeah. back then there weren't a lot of people buying food online. It just wasn't really happening. And so I raised some money and that was the worst decision I ever could have made. I raised money from the wrong person. He was a real estate guy, just didn't understand the business at all. And I learned my lesson, you know, the hard way that, you know, on any other venture I ever do, I'm going to make sure I can do this self-funded and, and build it without out, outside capital. So lesson. So are you, is that still true for you? Are you not, do you think you'll never uh, get outside capital for this company or will you just do it differently if you do it? It would, if, if I ever did it, it would be totally different. I mean, even at the stage that we're at right now, it's, it would be so different. You know, the only way we would ever bring outside capital in right now is if the people bring, it's like smart money, right? So they're bringing something other than just cash. We just don't need cash. We go to the bank, we have great banking partners, yep. we're a profitable business. Yep. Um, and so we just reinvest our cash, you know, the smart way and to continue scaling. But you know, if we were to do it, it's, it, they would have to bring something else to the table, whether that's, you know, I don't know, manufacturing or something that get us, you know, from point Just A to partners, yeah. much faster. Yeah. I, um, I interviewed um, someone from a private equity firm in New York called um, Center Partners a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I've talked to so many brands who say the same thing, like it has to be the right money, or I don't want the money. Because aside from the fact that whether people are bringing anything to the table or not, if you don't have people who are just have the same purpose as you, then you're always going to be at odds because it's always going to be about something else for them than it is for you. But this guy told me that they only will go and invest in a brand if they feel that they can contribute something more than money. So can they get them into a distribution network that would have been impossible to get into? Or can they do something like you said with manufacturing or marketing or some bring them some expertise that they don't already have? So I think that's really interesting. And I think it's a really compelling piece of advice that I am hearing over and over again from people who've done it in a way that was right for them and people who've done it in a way that was completely wrong. Um, And some people have not had your experience where they went on to something else. They're still in that sort of hellish where we have the wrong investor place. And so that's a bummer for them, but it's, you know, I'm sure you, you would agree that all of the things that happened to you last time were probably just setting you up to be successful this time. I mean, there was so much that I learned, even just about the food business in general. So dealing with the yeah. USDA, dealing with packaging, sourcing, so all of those things. I was able yeah. to start Choms literally from idea to having product in hand and ads out, you know, taking orders just a few months. And That's incredible. For very little money too, you know. So at my initial investment in Choms was 3250 bucks. What? Rashid, Rashid came in and he matched my investment. We didn't, we really didn't need it. <laughs> I, I ended up, I uh, built a website myself. I did the packaging, horrible looking packaging. I did that on Photoshop myself. 
and uh, we went to town. Yeah, so we just started selling. And, and did your partner have any experience in the in the business? Not in the CPG world, um, in food and beverage specifically. He was an operations consultant by yep. trade. Okay. So he was working That's at Alvarez awesome. Marcel, and he was traveling all around the world and and working with various companies in all different industries. So he's just a really solid business mind in general, yeah. and just having that operations and finance background, it was perfect for me. You know, I I, I like the sales and marketing, the big yeah. ideas, like how do we build a business? But yeah. he's all you know. The analogy I always use is you know we're a truck barreling down the road. I'm the guy in the driver's seat, my foot's in the pedal. Um, and he's the guy steering and he also put all the guardrails in place to make sure that we never go off. So, yeah, that's uh, awesome. That yeah. sounds like a really smart partnership. Yeah, it works out well, definitely. Well, tell me, first tell me a little bit about how you went to market because we talked a little bit about this and you don't have a lot of SKUs and you don't have, you just don't have a million different products, which I think is smart and interesting. And I'd love to just hear about the thinking behind that. Yeah. Um, so first off, when we started, we had, we went to market with two SKUs. And, um, it was our original beef and jalapeno beef and uh, put those up on the website. And we were, and the business was going to be just a strictly a direct consumer business. And I was going to, and we, we were thinking about maybe doing some Amazon at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we just launched a little website and started and started putting some Facebook ads up and test marketing and said, you know, if this works, then maybe we can start thinking about how do we continue growing? Um, but it really just kept snowballing. For the first four years, it's all we did was e-commerce. Though. We had no retail presence whatsoever. Um, and then in 2016, uh, Trader Joe's called and kind of changed all of that, right? So we really, we really had no ambition to even get into retail before that. It's because, you know, you hear all the horror stories about it's an unprofitable industry. The growth, you know, getting into retail, it's expensive, you know, um, slotting dollars and all of that. And it's very competitive. Yeah. We, were, we were doing good. Um, and we were happy with what we were doing. This was a side gig for the both of us, right? I was still you know, doing real estate. Oh, okay. He was, yeah. And he was in operations consulting. And so we just kept, you know, building it up. And then very quickly though, I realized I'm like, I love this. I don't want to do real estate anymore. I want to grow chomps. So it was kind of thinking like, how do I take it to the next level? And then Trader Joe's called and it was like, that's how. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's such a fun name too. It, even when you just said, I want to, I want to do chomps. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. Think about, have you had any big challenges that you, I want to ask you about your biggest challenges and then also your biggest successes. So whatever order you want to talk about them in. Yeah. Perfect. So I think biggest challenges, I mean, those are always, you never forget those as, as an entrepreneur, right? So last year, obviously for, with COVID was challenging to say the least that's for everybody. So um, I don't know if these are kind of like beating a dead horse to tell another COVID story, but that was, you know, we could talk about it. It was, you know, things were going very well for us. We were had this great growth trajectory. March comes, COVID hits, you know, it's the peak of COVID. There's this buying frenzy. And this is in all channels. This is, you know, and especially e-commerce, yeah. but it was all even in retail. Um, and then that lasted for about two or three weeks. And then it was like somebody pulled the rug out from underneath us in retail specifically. So what happened was, you know, Trader Joe's, it's no, no secret is our best account and our uh, longest standing account that we've ever had. They overnight changed the number of people they will allow in their store from right. doors wide open to 10 people. Yeah. In the store. And then on top of it, they put up plexiglass at all the checkouts, which we were at the front end of most of their stores. And the plexiglass now became, it looked like almost like a Chomps museum and you can't even reach them if you wanted to. So literally overnight sales plummeted, 
we're not quite sure exactly how bad they were. We don't we don't really see all the exact data from them. Uh-huh. Uh, we just know that it was it was a big hit, right? So that was scary, you know, because that, that was a, it's a big account, and then overnight that happens, and then from there it trickled down into other retailers too, because the big distributors that we work with, Unify and Kehi, they were told by the retailers just keep bringing the essentials, so bring your the right. paper towels, the meat, you know, milk, eggs, whatever, and chomps is not an essential item apparently, right? So yeah. we, uh, we just weren't even making on the truck. So if they sold yeah. out, we just went out of stock and that yeah. stayed like that for a very long time. So it took a long time to bounce back. It was months before retail actually slowly started coming back. Um, you know, so you, you brought up before that whole skew rationalization idea, which is luckily we, we've always kind of had that mindset. We just want to go at it with a few skews and go deep. And we just want to go, very high velocities, high turns, and a few, few number, uh, the fewest number of SKUs possible that we could do that with is amazing. And so the good thing is that in the retailers that we work with, they were doing on their end as well. So if we were in their stores and we only had two or three SKUs that were all very high volume SKUs for them, they kept yeah. them. For brands that had 30, 40 yeah, SKUs, right, right. you got to yeah. imagine overnight, they lose distribution of most of them. They probably yeah. keep us a few heroes too. So, you know, that's always been, again, a mindset for, of, of ours. And it's, it's really just, just focusing on profitability and focusing on, you know, we want to build scale and, and a, a low number of SKUs. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that idea is really, a, we were lucky that we, had, we were feeling like that. Um, so our business was able to bounce back a lot quicker than a lot of other businesses because of that. Yeah. I'm sure. And a lot of people who lost distribution, it's not going to be that easy to get back. They're not just going to get it back because COVID ends. Now it's going to be a whole other fight for space again, which is really tough right now. It's just, I've never seen it as tough as it is right now. Yeah. It's crazy. Very difficult. And then, so this went on for months. We didn't quite see the light, the light in the tunnel. Um, finally in around Q3, Q4, things really started opening up. And then we had, we actually had some big launches that were pushed back. So we launched in Whole Foods Global, in Sprouts National, um, in uh, Walmart, and then Kroger. And these were like thousands of doors that we were anticipating. Yeah. This was in the budget. You know, we were spending against this, thinking we had this growth coming. And it just, it was like, how much further is this going to go? And finally, by Q4, we were like, we launched and things were, it was much better, much better. So a couple of things too, like our team did this amazing job of pivoting when just overnight revenue just drops uh, a huge chunk uh, of revenue is gone overnight. Right. So what are you going to do? What, like, how do you cut costs? And luckily we were able to go through and spent about a week just looking at the budget and okay, where can we cut? Where can we cut? And things that were not going to hopefully affect the business for a long time. And um, you know, in terms of brand building and, and other revenue, like on e-commerce, so we were able to cut about seven figures out of our marketing budget and other wow. places in the business, but mostly marketing. So we ended up still profitable for the year, which was wow, that's how we pulled amazing. It off. amazing. Congratulations. It's Thank cute. You. We were just profitable. I'm not gonna, we were that's okay. I mean, that's still, yeah, yeah, you're around and that's really exciting. What do you feel like was the biggest success for you guys or at the time when you were like, this is, we got, we figured it out. We know what we're doing. We got it you know, I'm just going to, it's right now, like this period of time it's so, and I have this conversation with our team and we do these weekly all hands, um, week in review calls on Thursday afternoons. And every time we have a call now, it's, it's, there's amazing. We go through wins, opportunities and, and, uh, and, um, challenges every day. 
And so every time we do that, and so the wins bucket right now is just really growing. And so, you know, we're feeling the momentum right now. And our brand is really, I think at this tipping point where it's just, you know, where we start having buyers come to us, where it's no longer like we need to push and try to get it. We're starting okay. it. Yeah, we're getting the outreach. And then not only that, like just the velocity is continue to grow. So all the things that and the discipline that we had over the years and growing this business, it's just starting to pay off. And we're trying to, we're really keeping a, a close eye on making sure that our marketing stays ahead of our distribution. So mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is get under a bunch of sales where no one knows who the heck your brand is, right? Yeah, and so if sure. you're, so we're just, so we're looking at, you know, um, from a brand building, we want to make sure that the you know, brand awareness stays way ahead of distribution and um, household penetration is, right. is growing very quickly and velocities are not, are not dropping much. They're mm-hmm. actually growing. So when you start getting to that point, things are like, okay, this is, uh, this is what we were hoping to happen. So, yeah. It's fun to talk to you because I can feel it in your energy. It's so awesome to to <laughs> feel the way you feel. And it is very rare at the moment for people to be as excited. And I think that's so great. So congrats to you for doing that. What about innovation? Like what's next for you guys? Have you talked about that? Yeah. So and one of the things I always talk about, again, is that like keeping your SKUs in your, your catalog of SKUs is lean. Yeah. And finding the heroes and just going, going deep on those. And um you know, and we, I like to stick to my guns on that. What we, so we're sticking with sticks. I'm not going to get into jerky, but I will say that there is some innovation in some in meat snacking formats that do intrigue me a bit. And some of it is like, okay, so yeah, we have a meat snacks brand, but I always preach balance in your diet, right? And so there's yeah. this big plant-based trend and yes. I'm not going to go and jump on and, and create some, you know, a plant-based product just because that's the trend. Um, I'm always like, like to stay true to what the diets and, or like the nutrition uh, advice that we preach. And so I have an, an idea and a couple ideas I'm thinking through about like uh, more of a flexitarian angle. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so I think that that is, is interesting. And I don't, I don't like any of the like supplements or powders or that crap. I mean, I like, if you even look at like our, our jalapeno beef, for instance, it's, we don't use powdered jalapeno flavors. We actually use jalapeno shavings. Like we go yep. like the real deal. So I've got an idea that I w- I'm testing right now and uh, we've, we're running back and forth on samples and I'm pretty excited about it. I'm, we're we're going to roll this out. So this would be the the only, the second format that we've ever done aside from stick. So we've, um, again, historically, we've only been stick. We actually do have a couple of new stick flavors coming out though that mm-hmm. we're really excited about. We have a pepperoni turkey, which is going to be launching in May. And I'm pretty sure that that's going to be a hero skew for us. And um, that'll be launching in Whole Foods in October and Thrive Market and a few other ones. Meyer will have us at the front end. So that's going to be uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. I have one more question for you. You mentioned discipline. And I think we talked about that last time, too, at the beginning. And I think that for if there are people who are listening to this that are wondering how to move forward and how fast to go and I think that it's interesting to talk about discipline because a lot of people don't have it um, and then they get lost along the way. And so could you just talk a little bit about what that meant to you? Yeah. So for me, it's, and, and the way we think about it internally is really just got to, you set a strategy and set, you know, some, some guardrails for yourself. And then it's like, okay, this is your strategy. Now run like hell. Like, so, so moving fast and working hard isn't a bad thing. Right. But it's a matter of just staying the course and think a lot of what, a lot of what happens in this business, especially in this industry, you see a lot of brands will say, oh man, this brand just had success with this. And then they get distracted. It's the next shiny thing. 
And then yeah. by the time, if you look back now at in years, you know, years down the road, it, their, their trajectory is no longer, you know, you know, or going straight forward and working towards and heads down towards some goal. It's a complete zigzag and they've got off track left and right. right. And yeah. it, I, I really think that that's why a lot of businesses just suffer. And um, I do too. Yeah, I mean, and you, like going back to the SKU, the number of SKUs. I mean, look at that. Like every every other brand says, oh, okay, oh, this guy just launched this this product. It's a new whatever, and they want to go do the same thing. And by the end, they look look at it. Their catalog has ninety something SKUs, and they're still only doing you know maybe just about to break eight figures in revenue. Like if that's how like that's not a sustainable business model. I don't care what the hell you're selling. We, it's tough. It's not, it's it's not easy to stay to stay disciplined like that. But we, we check each other. Hard. We check each other. Yeah. I will say that I'm the guy that gets distracted a lot easier. I'm sure, like I'm the idea guy, right? So I have a million ideas, but it's a matter of I have the people that I've surrounded myself with. They help me to stay focused, and they help me to look at the pros and cons of each idea. We set a strategy, and then we run like hell. Yeah. It's interesting. And it, I know, but even as an, an owner of a marketing company, it's hard to not get distracted or something comes your way and you're like, oh, that's interesting. It's not what we really do, but interesting, but that's not a good plan, yeah. right? Because that takes you down a road that you're not going to stay on. Yeah. You're just going to go down it and then you've got to come back to your road anyway at some point. So I think that's really good advice and interesting. Um, and that leads me to my next and maybe last question, depending Um is there any one piece of advice or words of wisdom that you would give to someone who was, you know, either considering um, starting something or at the sort of first year or two and kind of struggling, anything you'd say? Mm. Yeah. Um, so that, that's obviously one of them, right? It's like, okay, figure out your path and then, and then stick to that. Um, you know, there's a lot, I think if in this world, in this industry, I think a lot of people run their businesses in a way, or they emphasize things that are, are I feel are not important. Okay. Or they put too much emphasis on things that are not, not important. So that would be like celebrating a big raise. I, I don't, if you, if you have to go out and raise a bunch of money to grow your business or to even be successful to me, I don't know. I don't think that's the right way to do that. I mean, call it old school, but I just feel like that's very risky. If your business is heavily reliant and the success of your business is reliant on somebody else, you're not doing it the right way in my mind. I, and I, people tell me all the time that that's not the way, you know, you're, you're not thinking about the right way, but I don't know. Well, you're thinking about it your way that's working for you. I would say there are some times when it is helpful for the, some of the reasons that you talked about, because you can scale faster or because you get automatic access to relationships you didn't have before. Um, but it's an interesting point of view. And I will say to you, I have not heard anyone say that yet. So I've heard people say they wish they didn't raise with the people they raised with or they got capital from the wrong place. Um, but I haven't heard anyone say, if you have to raise, then you shouldn't be celebrating. That's interesting. It's an interesting point of view. No, no. Well, so here's here's what I like. I hear brands that that will go out and they, they're, not, they're pitching a big, uh, they issue a big press release that they just raised a bunch of money, right? I don't ever hear yeah. them talking about, we just, you know, increased our velocities or same store sales across <laughs> this entire channel by this number, right? It's like, these are metrics that, that actually matter and that show you that you have a strong business model. It's not like yep. I just raised $10 million from so-and-so, yep. you know, yep. Private yep. Equity. That's so, interesting. so yep. that, that's my point. I just feel like, and especially, and so I talk to a lot of young startup, startup entrepreneurs and they're all like, 
oh, can you tell me about raise? How did you raise? And how did you raise? I'm like, I didn't raise. Um, and this is why I didn't. And I, and it's like, you know, listen, you're introducing a whole new, a whole new level of risk by doing that. In my mind, you're yeah. getting in bed with somebody else. And that person, that investor, chances are, if you're, you're getting in with like one of these sophisticated private equity groups, they want control of your business. They're going to have some level of control. They're going to change the way that you are able to make decisions. They want it. They're sitting on your, they have board seats or whatever it is. They're going to, for yep. one, it could slow you down. Two, mm-hmm. it could distract you. And I don't know, it, you're, you're not, you're no longer in complete control of your own destiny. Again, this is like, I know this is an un- unpopular opinion. I understand it, but, and again, it, it could, it only worked, it worked for us, but it's also a fact. You are not in control anymore. You have given up at least some of it. And it definitely changes the way you go forward. Definitely. Because you've got to answer to people that you didn't answer to. And you've got people that they're answering to that you don't even know that you're answering to. So yeah, it's totally different. I'd agree with that. I think if you can do it on your own until you're whatever your real goal is, it's awesome. It's amazing. So I've got, I've got an example for you of like things that we do internally that we probably wouldn't yeah. be able to with, with a private equity partner. Um, or not, or at least without the absolute right private equity partner, um, is we hand inspect every single stick that we manufacture still. Every single stick. So we're doing like five or six million sticks a month right now. And we hand inspect every single one of them. We're not spot checking. We're not doing that. If if, if we stop doing that today, it adds seven figures to the bottom line. Yep. But what does that do to the business? What does that do to the the customer experience? Yep. And quality yep. and all of that. And and this these are things that we know our competitors are not doing. They can't. Yep. I mean they can't. And so um that these are the things that we we choose to spend our money on and, and to invest in. And honestly, we feel like this is why our brand is excelling the way we are right now. We have you know th- this this momentum that we do. So I think people and customers appreciate that. We go above and beyond for the customer. And yep. uh, you know, I, I get it. I I you know. Listen, a lot of these PE guys will tell you, they tell you a lot and they say, oh, you know, we definitely agree with that. But when it comes down to it and you start looking at a PL and you're saying at the end of the year, it's like, wait a second, I could have added seven figures to the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a big that deal. That hurts. Yeah. It hurts me to look at it as well. I get it. But I'm all, I also think about <laughs> it. I'm like, but I have a business still because I think, because we're thinking this way. Well, I was going to say, you stand for something really important that matters to people. And so I think that goes a long way. And maybe you'd make more cash in a year, but maybe your brand wouldn't have the kind of reputation it does, or the, right. your consumers wouldn't have the experience that they do. So they wouldn't talk about you the way that they do. And so it's, I think it's a smart trade-off. And I, I hear you, you would probably have to make some serious trade-offs if you had somebody else asking you those questions. So it's interesting. Cool. Yeah. I love that because see, that's a totally different perspective. And I think I've, I've not heard that yet. And I really, I also sort of feel that way because once you start to let people take control, then your vision becomes partly your vision and then also someone else's. So interesting. Um, anything else you want to share before we wrap up that you feel like you didn't get to talk about? No, I mean, um, no, I think we're, I, I covered most, most of the stuff here, but I would say. Where do you want to be in five years? Tell me. Where do we want to be? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So I always think about what we're building here is a brand. It's not necessarily a meat snack brand, right? What we want to be able to do is be a solve for people that are, there's a lot of conflicting nutrition information out there, right? You hear it all. There's all these different experts. They all tell you the complete opposite thing. What's healthy, what's not. So what we're trying to do is just make things very simple for people that want to just eat healthy in general, 
not maybe not hitting any specific diet. Yeah, we check the boxes for some of these diets, but we want to make things very easy. If you see the Chomps logo on any package, you should know that we went to the ends of the earth, literally, to make sure that we have the best ingredients and the best possible product for you. It might sound corny, it might sound cliche, but that's literally what we want to try to do. Um, and so I don't think it ends with meat sticks and I don't think it ends with meat snacks. I think we could do that with really anything. So, you know, in my mind, I, I know I, there's a lot of work that we have to do and there's a lot of white space to build this meat stick brand that we have right now. But I think there's, there's so much runway for Chomps in terms of, you know, five to 10 years from now. I mean, this can just keep going forever. So um, I'm excited about that. Sounds exciting. I'm excited for you. Well, thank you so much. That was really great. And I love the path that it wound up taking. So thank you um, for being so open. And I'll talk to you.